Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How was your trip to the beach last week? It was good. The weather was a little bit... Um, Actually, what I would say is the weather was very runner-friendly, not beach-friendly. So it was kind of overcast and cool and a little bit rainy, but it made for really nice running weather. It was a good reminder that the humid heat and humidity really affects us, and that once that goes away, we feel uh, we can we can really like feel our fitness and see also feel the difference between the heat and the humidity and and some cooler temperatures. So it was really nice, and I know a lot of the runners we coach. We're saying that, oh, my running felt really good these couple of days. So um, it was a good opportunity to see, and it was flat. So uh, so it was really nice. I have, I have a, one quick funny story from from uh, the beach. I uh, my, my One of my kids, Ari, and I got for the summer uh, inflatable stand-up paddle boards because we really just figured we'd need something this, this summer to – to bring with us to do some activity. So we brought them to the beach and we took them to a, a little uh, boat launch near where we were staying. And we get there and we pump up the, the one downside to inflatable stand-up paddle boards is that you have to inflate them. And you can use a car inflator, but it takes longer than hand pumping. So, but the hand pumping is, is, you know, obviously a lot of work. So we pump them up and get them all ready. And I ask Ari, I say, can you go back to the car and get me my, my paddle? And she looks in the car, she said, there's no, there's no paddle there. And it turned out I had forgotten my paddle back home here, not, not the oh. beach. So we had these, they're pumped up and we're ready to go. And I'm thinking, okay, do I just let her go? And I just wait here. Do I get on my board and like try to like paddle with my arms, which would be exhausting, obviously. What do I do? And, and I noticed that we were, um, the boat launch where we are has a, has like racks for kayaks where people store their kayaks. And there was nobody there. It was like a kind of crummy weather day and nobody was there. And I noticed there were some people had left some oars with their kayaks. And I thought, do you think they mind if I borrowed it for like the hour we're out on the water? And there are cameras there. So I'm like looking at the cameras going, I know they're seeing like, I'm going to grab this or if somebody wanted to find out and I'm feeling really guilty. And I'm promising myself when I come back, I'm going to leave in a little plastic baggie, some cash for the person. And I wanted to leave, a, I did in the end, I wanted to leave a note that said like, I rented your, 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 your paddle for, or your oar for like an hour. Here's, I wanted to leave you a little, you know, a little tip or a little cash or rental money, but I didn't have paper and pen. So literally I left like a little baggie of money in this person's kayak with their oar. <laughs> They're going to get back to their kayak. And um, yeah, so I took the kayak or, which is different than a, than a paddle board or, or paddle. So it was a little different, but so we, so we finally get on, like save the day. We get on, it's a little canal and it's kind of a narrow canal, um, but we're staying in the middle of it and we go down the canal one way about a half hour and we turn around to come back the other way and the current's carrying us. So it's, it's a, a lot faster and it's also pushing me toward kind of the side of the canal where there's a lot of branches and stuff. So I look and I see this like branch coming at me and I just know there's like, I, I couldn't figure out how to either get around it or get over it without, I, I didn't. It happened so fast that I fell in the water. <laughs> so um, first of all, right before we, first of all, we, we had, before we had gotten in on the paddleboards, I quickly saw, thought, oh, you know what? I should put like my phone and my keys in a plastic baggie, like a Ziploc that I had in the car, just in case I get splashed or, you know, whatever. 
but clearly it was not like foolproof and waterproof because I like get myself up on my board and I pull it out of my pockets and my phone is wet and my keys are wet and I'm freaking out that A, my keys aren't going to work when we get back to the car. B, my phone is going to die. I like yell for Ari to come back. Ari was ahead of me. I yell for her to come back and she's like rolling her eyes like, oh my God, my mom fell in the water. This is so embarrassing. Nobody was around. So she comes back reluctantly. I like make her give me her buff that she had because we had buffs with us like as masks. And I made her give me her buff so I could like wipe off my keys and my phone and just really hope that nothing was damaged. And luckily we got back and everything worked and the phone is fine and the keys are fine. But it was like this comedy of errors of like just really trying to do something fun at the beach on a kind of crappy weather day. And it's like one thing after the other. So I learned my lesson though. Every time I go now, I'm putting my phone and my keys in like double Ziploc baggies. So anyway, that was just my fun little story. I think it's a testament to your... Um, your ingenuity, but also your paddleboarding skills. Because like for me, when I go paddleboarding, it's a given I'm going to fall. So of course I wouldn't even bring my phone because I know that would happen. So I appreciate that your, your skills are worlds better than mine and are, are, are so good that even thinking about protecting your phone it wasn't on your radar because you're skilled. So well, that's how I'm going to look at this Well, story. I just have to say that, you know, I thought this was like a one-off. I was like, it was that branch and oh my gosh, like I just, I, the branch came out of nowhere. So we take the stand-up paddle boards out on the bay another day. It's a beautiful day. The bay is nice. It's not choppy, nothing. Like there are no branches, nothing in the way. And I'm like, well, obviously I'm not going to fall in now. And we're on our way back and just randomly I fall in. It was like, so I'm now like, I've got to go again and like make sure I don't fall in the water. Cause now I feel like every time I go, I've been falling in the water, but I will say I like really like the stand up paddle boarding. It's nice. It's very, um, it's fun. It's like a good way to spend time together and it's definitely good balance and core core work. So, um, so it's fun, but I, I like, I've got to go again and redeem myself and not fall in the water. And I have not, I didn't that second time I actually didn't I had to bring my keys because of the car. Like I couldn't leave them at the car, but I didn't, I left my phone in the car because I thought in my head, like probably shouldn't, um, bring, bring my phone with me this time. So I was glad I didn't that time. Smart. And before we move on to another topic, where did you purchase your inflatable paddleboards? Amazon, just on okay. Amazon. Yep. So just a, you know, no camp, camps were canceled this summer. Actually, uh, Ari was supposed to do a stand-up paddleboard camp that got canceled. So we said, well, we'll just use that money and we'll buy some stand-up paddleboards and we're going to go use them today, I think, uh, on a, on one of the lakes near, near here. So it's really easy. You just bring them in the car. You've got to pump them up. Um, but it, it doesn't take that long and it's not, it's not that bad. And, uh, and then you just deflate them after clean them off and deflate them and put them, put them away sounds like a great idea. I love all these Amazon purchases. I personally have made two Amazon purchases that um, one is on back order because I think everybody purchased this and that is the inflatable outdoor pool. Yep. Um, <laughs> Tons so, of them in my neighborhood. Yeah. So that is on back order, but um, we have an inflatable outdoor slide that's being used a lot. It's really nice. Um, we kind of like stick it on our yard. Isn't that big? So we stick it on our side yard and we're using all kinds of accoutrements to slide down it. It's, it's mm -hmm. making for good, um, good videos. And um, I've used it a couple of times. It hurts a little bit, I'll admit. <laughs> but my kids seem fine. I think that's just just one of the things about being an adult. You just aren't as adept at going down those uh, no, slides I've as we were. <laughs> kill myself. They're brave. But they're fun. So I wanted to do it. So anyway. Um, but to your point about... Um, 
running at the beach and it being cooler. You know, we, we received a lot of comments in final surge this week from our runners. Um, almost every one of the runners I coach had a comment about the, at some point the run being crappy, not feeling great. It's so hot. And I, I just want to remind everyone out there, this is so normal. This too shall pass. And it's hard because on top of it being hot and humid as it is every summer, we're not running as much with others. I know some people are starting to run with a few people at this point now that we're in phase two, but so many people are continuing to run solo and you kind of don't have that feedback from your running partner as you normally would. Oh yeah, I'm so hot. I feel so slow today. So you may have a tendency to get in your head on your runs when it's really hot thinking that it's you and it's not you it's the heat and humidity and just slow your roll and know that you're still getting the fitness gains and recognize that you can't fight it you can only just tolerate it and in tolerating it and in controlling the controllables that's just staying hydrated outside of your runs um, wearing clothing that is cool um, using a lot of the body glide or we use skin durance, whatever it is, um, all of the tips that will make you more comfortable, your run will be that much better. And when you're done, forget about it. Don't take the data from your run and think that it's you. Forget about it. And you got in your mileage, you got more fitness in the training bank, and you'll get back out and do it again. And to that end, next week, we are doing our monthly um, coaching um, podcast where we're just going to provide coaching tips and conversation. And what we'd like to do this week is we invite any of our listeners to email us with your questions or topics that you would like us to address next week. Email us at Julie and Lisa at runfarthandfaster.com, or you can send us a Facebook message or Instagram DM at runfarthandfaster. And we encourage you to ask if there's things that you want to know, whether it's um, training related, Boston related, whatever it is, we're happy to answer as many questions as we can in our um, coaching podcast next week. And to that end, we are so grateful for all of the reviews that we've received. We're up to, I believe, 115 reviews. Thank you so much. And we have been saying that for anyone who reviews us, um, we will send you a buff. We have 12 buffs left. We'd love to get 12 more reviews. So if anyone hasn't done so and you'd like to leave us a review, please do so. And then you need to email us with your mailing address because we won't know you left a review unless you email us with your mailing address. And we will send you a buff. Once we run out of buffs, we're going to order some more from our friend Cindy at API Source. And at that point, we would be happy to sell them. Um, we know there's a lot of people that really need some more. We are so happy to do that. So um, yeah, leave us some reviews so we can get rid of them and we'll order some more and then we will be um, sending those out to anyone who would like one. Yeah, and for the people who have already received them because we sent out, we've been sending them out as, as people have been submitting reviews. If you've gotten them, post picture. I love, I've seen pictures of people um, on you know Facebook and on some social media where they've sent them to us. So either send them to us or post them on social media and tag us because uh, it's fun to see, see people with uh, with their buffs on. Actually, this morning on my run, I saw one of our, uh, one of our runners who run with us many years ago in one of our vintage shirts. So I could oh, see her coming actually from a while away. And I said, hey, that's, that's a shirt, an old RFF shirt. 
so it was really fun to see to, to see that. So um, hopefully we'll start seeing some RFF buffs out on the roads too. But if we're if we don't live near you or run near you, send us a picture. Yeah, we appreciate um, people wearing them. It's a great way to be able to cover your mouth and nose when you can't remain within six feet of people and it's challenging sometimes to do that. So I always wear something around my neck and these are nice and cool. They don't constrict at all. They're really nice. Um, and I rarely have to put it on, but I just like knowing I have it in case I can't keep within six feet of someone while running. Outside of six feet. I mean, yes. Yeah. 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 Outside of six feet. Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Up next, we have a terrific guest. We are really excited to talk with Carrie Allen. Carrie is a local runner who um, has accomplished some tremendous things. She uh, ran for Duke University briefly and then took a hiatus from running and came back and talks about her journey to qualifying for the Olympic trials this uh, past year in 2020. And while some people may listen initially to Carrie and think, well, she's so fast and feel that they can't relate to her story. Oh my gosh, her story is so relatable. She had a goal on her radar for five years and she had a series of injuries, a series of setbacks, which she'll talk about, but she kept her eye on the goal and never wavered. And the reason we wanted to have her on the podcast today is for that very reason. We know that there are so many runners out there that have big goals and sometimes those goals take a while and sometimes you have to detour from those goals for different reasons, but that doesn't mean you can't achieve those goals. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't continue to dream big. So we think she just embodies that. And we were so thrilled when she agreed to come on the podcast. She runs for Georgetown running company, a local competitive team. Um, and she can be um, seen at a lot of the local races. And we've never met her personally, but we really hope we get to do so after this quarantine is over because she's just a, a tremendous role model to so many runners in the D.C. area. Yeah, and she, you know, she has a full-time job and juggles everything else uh, that, that a lot of us do. And she multitasks. She works her training into her commute, and uh, she's not – somebody who gets to focus all her time and dedicate all her time to, to training and, uh, and running. Uh, so I think she's very relatable too. Yeah. So Lisa, I hope you have a great week. You too. And next week we'll be back for our coaching call. Thanks for listening, everyone. And here's Carrie Allen. Bye Lisa. Bye Julie. We are really excited to announce that we have our first sponsor. R&J Sports, which is located in Maryland, is the first sponsor of the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Even though R&J Sports is a locally owned running store, they do ship nationwide and have a website from which you can order, rnjsports.com. If you go onto the website and purchase something over $100, just put in the code RFFFeatures, F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S, and they'll throw in a free pair of feature socks with your purchase. You can also call the store at 301-881-0021, and over the phone, they'll provide some terrific guidance on which shoes are right for your foot. While it's not the same as a in-person fitting, for many of us, we can't do that yet. So this is a great option. In fact, one of our runners in China recently contacted the store and they provided her with some great advice and she was able to get a replacement pair of shoes that's working for her very well. 
So again, call R&J Sports at 301-881-0021. Let them know that you're with the Run Farther and Faster podcast. And if you make a purchase of over $100, they'll throw in a free pair of socks or you can go on their website. Thanks so much, R&J, for sponsoring our podcast. Carrie Allen, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Well, we wanted to have you on, Carrie, because we've been following you from afar while we live in the same area, in the D.C. area. Um, we've actually never met you in person, and we hope we get to you sometime. But you really have an incredible story of overcoming a series of injuries throughout your running career at almost every stage. And we wanted to talk about it today because it's, it's really inspiring for runners of all levels and um, all abilities. So, Carrie, just to start us off, we wanted to um, ask you to provide us just with a little bit of background, where you grew up, um, where you live now, your job, and then we'll take you through um, your running history. Sure, sounds great. Um, so I was born and raised in St. Petersburg, Florida, and moved to the D.C. area almost exactly 10 years ago and uh, live now in Northwest Washington, D.C. And I work uh, for a member of Congress on health and veterans policy issues. And um, you said you grew up in St. Petersburg. So when did you graduate from high school and uh, where'd you go to college and how did you end up in the D.C. area working on the Hill? Yeah, I um, graduated from high school in ooh, 2006. <laughs> and went to school in North Carolina at Duke University. And then um, I studied public policy in college. And so, you know, had an interest in policy and politics. And one summer did an internship um, for a senator from my home state and just really loved the experience and like fell in love with it and was like, this is what I want to do when I graduate. So that's what brought me to DC. First of all, I was giving you a thumbs up because I went to Duke for law school. So. Oh, yay. Wow. And actually, that's, that's when I started running was when I was at Duke. That's, that's actually yeah. my first running was, was there. So I didn't start running until I was a little bit, a little bit later in life, which is mm. later now. But um, did you, had you run in high school or in, when you were at Duke in college? Yeah. So I started running in middle school. Um, I'd always played sports growing up, um, mostly soccer was was the main the main one throughout the years and um in middle school i really wanted to do a sport at my middle school and there were only three there was basketball volleyball and track and i was probably like under four six at the time <laughs> so basketball and volleyball both seemed like they wouldn't be well suited to my strength so it gave track and field a try and um ended up having some, clearly having some talent, and uh, so ran um, all through high school, and then um, wanted to run in college, and went to, so went to Duke, um, intending to, to run for the cross-country and track programs there, um, and unfortunately, like, late high school, early college, um, really had a lot of injury struggles, and ultimately um, left the team and, and competitive running after a year. So I ran for a year at Duke uh, my freshman year. So tell us a little bit about that experience. So you were at the top of your game in high school and then 
at some point you started uh, experiencing injuries. Did you see a pattern with your injuries at that age and into college? Do you think that there was something that um, caused them in particular? Yeah, I think now that I have hindsight and um, have learned a lot more about the sport and about um, your physical development and specifically, um, you know, young women, girls' physical development, uh, I think I have a better idea of what was going on than I necessarily did at the time. Um, so I would say like in high school, my best years of running were my freshman, sophomore year, and I was totally healthy, um, but I was definitely um, late to hit puberty, and I think like my injuries kind of coincided with the start of puberty and all of the associated physical changes with your body, and so a lot of, a lot of my injuries tended to be, you know, lower back, hips, IT band, so I think it was probably you know, stuff just changing and shifting around and um, probably needed to to take that into account. And I, I just, you know, didn't really understand that that was happening. And, um, you know, this was a little bit before the internet had as much information as it does related to running and, um, and development. Um, so I think, you know, we kind of treated the individual injuries without realizing um, that it might be related to, to how my body was changing. Um, so I feel like I have more understanding of it now than, than I did back then. So um, in keeping with that, if you were to tell yourself now at that age what, what you would have done differently, what do you think that advice would be? Yeah, yeah. I think about, I've definitely thought about that. Um, and I think... I would have, I think it would have just taken away a lot of the like mental and emotional anguish because I sort of fell into this cycle of um, having an injury and then trying to get back to fitness and always being frustrated that, you know, I wasn't hitting the times that I was hitting my freshman, sophomore year. And I think even, you know, near the end of high school, beginning of college, I think I thought, you know, I'm just never going to be as fast as I was when I was, you know, 14 and 15 years old. And, you know, maybe I was only that good because I was, you know, still had such a small body and could move myself around quickly with limited effort. Um, so I think I would have really benefited from knowing that that's very normal for, for girls and women as they hit puberty, um, and their bodies are changing for them to have a performance slump, but that plenty of people, um, come out the other end and and you just need to be patient and, and trust that that'll happen and not not you know beat yourself up that oh like why am I not getting better and I'm never going to be better and what's the point of all of this which I think I fell into a little bit yeah how was that when I mean once you got to Duke and you were running and then you said you know you had a lot of injuries you're faced a lot of injuries and you ended up stopping your collegiate running how how was that like how did you manage that? Did, did it feel liberating? Did it feel um, frustrating? Like how, how did that, how did that play out? And what is, and then moving, kind of moving forward from that, when did you start running again? Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a tough decision to step away from running. Um, it had been such a big part of my life and, um, you know, especially like coming into a new school and, 
uh, you know, your, your teammates are kind of your, your core group of friends. So it was, it felt like, um, not just like leaving the sport, but also, you know, leaving your little family, not that, you know, everyone was nice and understanding and it wasn't like, you know, you can't hang out with us anymore, but it's different when you're not out there with the team and you're not training with them. Like that's such a big part of, of those relationships. Um, so it was a tough decision. Um, but I think ultimately it was the right one for me. Like I was just not in a good place mentally or physically with running. Um, I wasn't enjoying it. Um, I, my first year at Duke, I only ran four cross country races and then sat out track, um, because of injuries. Um, and there's so many opportunities in college to do other things. So I think, you know, part of it was also, uh, I'm giving up so much to not actually be running. And, um, there are other things I could be exploring right now. Um, I think I also didn't really know about the world of post-collegiate running. So there was also a part of me that was like, well, you know, at best I have three more years of this, you know, what's the point of, of killing myself in, in the training room and in the pool to try to like maintain fitness for something that in three years, you know, isn't really going to mean anything to me. I should focus on academics and having fun and uh, doing all the stuff that you can't really do when, when you're a division one athlete. Um, so I think I felt a good bit of relief when I walked away. Um, and I know it was the right decision for me, but there's also still part of me now that I'm back into it. That's wonders, you know, what did I ultimately miss out on? Um, but I'm very grateful that I found my way back to running and I don't know if that would have happened if I had gone through a grueling four years of, of division one, um, track and cross country. Uh, program. Um, so the second part of your question about my return to running. Um, so I, I, I still ran throughout the years that I wasn't competing um, really casually, like just for fitness and sanity, you know, maybe four times a week, go out for a three to five mile jog, um, nothing structured or workouts or anything. Um, but after college, um, you know, moved to a new place, you know, kind of ha figuring out how to adjust into adult life, um, kind of wanted some other goals to work towards. And um, my roommate at the time uh, was training for uh, a marathon to try to qualify for Boston. And, and she had run um, several marathons before. Like she, um, she was a recreational runner, but had run marathons during college. Um, so honestly, I just started to feel kind of lazy, like hearing her <laughs> go out the door every morning and I'm still laying in bed. Um, so I was like, oh, maybe I'll try to train for a marathon and, you know, maybe I'll qualify for Boston. Um, like that, that could be a cool target to shoot for. Uh, so I trained for my first marathon in 2011 um, and did a Philadelphia marathon as my first and just kind of fell back in love with running and, um, you know, it was, it's not like I immediately jumped back into like heavy competition, but kind of, you know, the more I did it, the more I improved and, um, just really started to love the competing and working out again. And, um, 
So let's step back. First of all, I love your story in the sense that like so many runners, you went from running jogging in college after you decided to leave the team three, four miles, you know, three, four times a week to training for a marathon. Like we're all, it's, it's like something about us runners, like, like we all go from zero to 60. And so when you were, when you fell back in love with running through training for the marathon, what was that like for you? Did you uh, train with a group in the DC area? Did you train on your own? And how different was that experience from college and high school in that you were obviously running much different distances, much longer distances? Were you running slower to prevent injury during that time? And um, did you feel uh, a sense of almost running a completely different sport? I know I just asked a lot of questions. So, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it, it does. The, the marathon is was so different from – the training I'd done before, which was, you know, at the furthest of 5k, um, which was one of the reasons that it appealed to me, you know, I didn't want to be doing workouts or races where, cause that was sort of an issue when I was, um, having my frustrations in high school and college. So I didn't want to be running 5ks and still feel like I'm hitting my head against the wall saying, Oh, I, you know, this is 30 seconds that I ran 30 seconds slower than I ran 10 years ago. Like, um, so it was like completely different, um, completely different event, completely different training. Um, let's see where to start. Um, I, so when I first trained for the marathon, I, um, just used like an online training program and asked my roommate, Allison, like a ton of questions, <laughs> like, how do you long run? How do you, you know, what do you eat? What do you stop and stretch? Like what? I had so many questions for her. So she was a great um, source of information on just how to do like the most basic marathon training things. Uh, and we would do some runs together and um, I dabbled with some of the like um, store-based groups for long runs, um, but was like mostly training on my own for my first few marathons. And then as I, so my first marathon, um, I ran like a 3.13, I think, was was my time. And then um, one of the women who was one of the group run leaders at um, Pacers Running Store was like, oh, that's like really good first marathon. Like, maybe you should talk to a coach. Maybe you should look into a team. Um, so that's when I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I, you know, there's something to this. Um, and started being a little more proactive about um, trying to find um, training partners or people to run with and just realizing that it's way more fun to do long runs <laughs> with, with friends and people to chat with. Um, so I ended up finding my way um, after my second marathon to the Georgetown Running Club, um, GRC, and have been training with them since... Uh, 2013. And, and, and for those who don't know, GRC is, it's a competitive running group for higher level runners. So you're generally the people you run with, I would assume are um, aiming for sub three OTQ qualifiers. Is that correct? Yeah, that's the range um, okay. for sure for the, for the women's marathon um, side. And 
so when I, when I started, I was one of the younger ones on the team. And, um, again, just like able to, um, learn so much from their experiences and their training. Um, and it was just way more fun to <laughs> have friends to, to go through those experiences with. Did it ever feel, um, you know, you said you went to the marathon to sort of get a fresh start from having, comparing your old self to the, the new runner you had become as a result of becoming a marathoner. When you joined GRC and suddenly you found yourself back into sort of a more competitive environment with time-specific goals, did there ever come a point where you wondered if that was the right path for you or did you feel um, comfortable with that right away? You know, I... I'm somewhat pleasantly surprised that I haven't fallen back into like that comparison trap. I think some of it's just maturity and life experience and um, I'm much more content just to be able to go through the process. And, and maybe it's also having sort of lost running once before. Um, you know, I definitely have goals and, and want to reach them, but um, I also get a lot of happiness um, just from the process of pursuing them and, um, you know, putting in the work and um, that's something that I've, I'm really happy that that's where I've landed. At, at what point did you start getting in your head the goal of qualifying for the Olympic trials? When did that start? I mean, you three a great, obviously, you know, hugely impressive first marathon time. And I'm assuming you started cutting your times down once you started training with the group. But when did you start thinking about qualifying for the Olympics? Yeah, uh, my second marathon, I ran a 256. And so I think that was the first time that I was like, maybe like it felt very um very lofty like a, a very long-term goal and something that I was definitely not um convinced that that was ever going to happen um but I think people have also talked about how you know once you there's like a BQ there's sub three and then after that like the next like landmark um goal is the OTQ. Um, so I think that was probably part of it, even if um, there was maybe not much of me that believed <laughs> that was a reasonable thing to, to shoot for, which um, it sh I, I should have thought it was, re I should have thought it was more reasonable than I did. So what did you do at, at that point? What did you do? How did you change your training? Like once you thought, okay, maybe I can do this. How did you pursue that goal? Yeah. Um, I didn't, change a ton I would say over the years and I'd have to count but I think like ballpark I've gone through about eight marathon training cycles and looking at looking back at my training like what I do now is a lot different than what I did in 2013 but each year or each cycle is not that different from the one before micro uh, changes along the way yeah so you know, turn the volume up a little bit, um, you know, try a couple different types of workouts, um, add in certain strength stuff, um, but never all at once. It's, it's kind of been like little tweaks here and there, um, which I, despite the fact that I've had some 
some injury troubles, I think um, that has helped me progress and, and also for it to not feel overwhelming or um, like something that I can't tackle. So you, um, you're, you're at the goal of achieving an OTQ. It sounds like it, it kind of um, popped into your head around 2013. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And it actually took you not to spoiler alert. It took you about five years to achieve that goal. Yes. So talk to us about um, what happened between 2013 and 2018. And then, and then of course we want to hear about what happened the day you achieved the goal. But I think that your story is really um, compelling because it didn't happen overnight. And Mm -hmm. while Many listening may say, well, she's so much faster than I am. The story you're sharing would resonate with any runner. Mm -hmm. So share some details on those (laughs) five years and sort of what you went through physically and mentally. Yeah. So I definitely have a complicated relationship with the marathon or a complicated history. Um, So I'd say like my first few marathons went really well. And then I think when you're trying to, you know, achieve your potential, in an event like the marathon, there's just so much that can go wrong, um, both in training and on race day. Um, and I've had, I've had struggles on sort of both sides of that equation. Um, I've had a couple, um, serious or or long-term injuries. Um, the two worst have been plantar fasciitis in each foot. (laughs) So (laughs) I was out for like, I think almost nine months, um, with it in one foot. And then, um, actually like the, the earlier in the year, um, before I qualified for the trials, I was out for, I think four, three or four months with, uh, plantar fasciitis in the other foot. Um, so I've, I've had some, some uninterrupted or some interrupted years due to injuries. Um, but then I've also had years where I've had, really good training cycles and I, you know, get to race day, feel confident, like I'm going to crush it. (laughs) And then something goes wrong. Um, I, you know, have had bad weather that I didn't react well to. Um, I have dropped out of a marathon because I had a horrible blood blister on the bottom of my foot um, at mile 16 that I've, you know, never experienced a blister there again. And it was just on that one day. That's what happened. Um, stomach issues, like there, all the, nothing wild, um, just the normal stuff that can pop up during a marathon, but I feel like I've had my, my share of it. Um, Sorry, I want you to keep going, but I have to ask this question with yeah. all of those different scenarios. Um, and with people training on a team and of course things like social media, was it hard for you sometimes to have to put yourself out there with your goal repeatedly? Because it's, it's a goal that anyone who's even trying for, it's a very admirable goal, but was it hard for you at times to have to continue to pursue that and then explain all of these things that happened along the way? Yeah, it definitely, um, doesn't feel great. (laughs) And I feel like I, um, I would sometimes sort of justify that, you know, this OTQ is my goal or that I, 
um, you know, would like to run, I would like to request an elite entry from your race. And while my PR is only 251, like I know I'm in much better shape because of all these workouts that I've done. And my PRs at, you know, my PRs at a half marathon and the 10 mile are much better. Like, don't look at this marathon PR. It's, it's not real. <laughs> um, so I've definitely um, felt those frustrations and wished that I had a marker to, to show what I thought was, you know, my true marathon fitness. and. Potential. I really admire that. Like when someone puts their goal out there the way you have and continue to pursue it. And I, I really admire that you not only continue to pursue it consistently, but you didn't allow those external forces to impact um, how you personally felt about your ability to achieve your goal. And I think that's really something that a lot of people struggle with and especially with social media. And I, I just think that's really amazing. As amazing as your times is you. your fortitude with approaching your goal. So, okay. So keep going. I oh. went off on a tangent. Sorry. Oh, no, that, thank you very much. You had started to talk about the different injuries and scenarios between 2013 and 2018. So talk us through any more of those and then we'll get to 2018. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Planter has been my, uh, my nemesis for sure. <laughs> That's been, uh, number one. Um, and then just like Sorry, little things interrupt too, but how did you get just briefly, how did you get past the plantar fasciitis? Cause we you know, coach a ton of runners and even I've had a little plantar fasciitis and there's really seems to be no, no easy answer. Did, how did you tend to get past it? Yeah. I wish I had a good answer for you. And, um, I feel like I've become like a sort of planter expert, like, you know, people know that I've had it. So I'll have friends email me and I, I literally have an email drafted that I like copy and paste, like here are all the things that I tried. Um, it's an injury that's not well understood, which is kind of crazy considering how common it is. Um, and I can't say that I particularly understand it. Um, I have tried so many different things. So like when when people ask me, I just like send, here's what I tried. Here's if it, here's like, if I felt like it worked. Um, so, you know, I work with a really good PT. I feel like that's like the number one suggestion, um, because there's probably some underlying, um, you know, weakness or imbalance that was what actually caused the planter. Um, so, you know, making sure that you're structurally sound, um, Awesome. And who's your PT? Sarah Weimer. She's at Washington Wellness. She's fantastic. Okay. And she works with a lot of runners and uh, is just like really understands, I think, both like the physical nature of runners, but also like the mental and emotional side where um, telling someone like, just run less is not uh, particularly helpful advice. So she, she's really good at working um, with me and with others um, to figure out how to get you healthy. Um, but knowing that that also means getting you back out on the road. Um, so I've worked with her for years and years. Um, yeah, planter, sometimes I think it just has a mind of its own and will heal when it feels like it. Um, so I never know if like what I've tried actually fixed it or if, uh, um, it just happened to be at the same time that the planter decided to behave itself, but, but yeah, strengthening your calves, your feet, working on balance. Um, I have like one of those red spiky balls that I roll my foot on a lot. Um, 
what else have I done? I've tried like the sock and the boot. I don't, I don't know about those. Um, taping, taping actually worked well for me the second time. Um, was able to come back, I think a little bit faster um, by taping, which I will admit when it was suggested, I was like, there's no way, like there's so many technologies and trinkets. There's no way that like athletic tape is going to help this, but it helped me. Um, so yeah, my main advice is to just like throw everything at the wall, see, <laughs> see what sticks and um, be patient. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So, so go ahead and move forward. We keep interrupting you moving forward. So, um, you know, 2018 comes around what leading up to your marathon, what, what marathon did you run to qualify? Uh, Twin Cities, which is in, was in October of 2018. Right. So leading up to that, had you been healthy? Did you feel good? Did you feel confident leading up to that? Yeah, it was, um, it was an interesting season. Um, so like I mentioned, I was coming back from my second bout with planter. And so I had just like six months prior to the marathon was, you know, still running like 10 miles a week, just trying to um, kind of test the boundaries of what I could do um, without making my foot angry again. Um, so I had like a really gradual build. Like I think I was adding like five miles a week um, and got to July and was running like decent mileage, kind of calculated things out. It's like, I could maybe be ready for a marathon, marathon in October. Um, there was, a work personal life items that kind of constricted my fall season planning to where I needed to do a marathon either in October or December. Um, and so I was trying to figure out for several months, like if I could be ready in October and I didn't actually like book my plane tickets until I think late August. <laughs> um, and you know, I had a good build, but it was in the middle of the summer uh, here in DC, which you all know what that is like. And so I definitely had some runs and workouts, um, especially like the long run workouts where I really struggled. Um, I would try to run marathon pace and just completely fall apart. Um, and the long runs were a slog. So it wasn't until we got like a couple days where the humidity dropped or I went on vacation park in Maine and just had like a killer week of running because <laughs> the weather was nice. And I think like that really gave me a confidence boost. Um, Cause like, you know, the humidity is bad, but I think we all underestimate how much it really affects you, especially in those longer efforts. So I would say like I went to twin cities and I felt, I felt like I'd had as good of a training cycle as I could, but between um, dealing with the humidity and it being hot, kind of a weird build um, coming back from the injury, um, I wasn't really sure what to expect. And so when people are asking, you know, what's your goal? Um, I said, I just wanted to run a good race and 
you know, I, the last like three marathons before that had all been, I either dropped out or like walk jogged into the finish and finished, you know, like 15, 20 minutes off my goal time. Um, so I just wanted to like feel good about the race when I crossed the finish line. And, you know, I thought that if I had a good race, I would run sub 245, but I was telling people this and I truly believed it. Like if I ran a good race and I ran a 240, I'd walk away with that being a win for the day and ended up like exceeding my expectations a lot (laughs) that day. What, what was your PR before you went into Twin Cities? It was 251. Okay. So understandably running under a 248 would be a win because that would be over a three minute PR. Yeah. But you're, so you had like an A goal, which was an OTQ and a B goal, which was under 248. So what, so what happened that day um, when you went into the race? Um, did you have a plan that you stuck with or did you surprise yourself? I would say my main plan was just to stay comfortable for as long as possible. And uh, the Twin Cities course, which I hadn't run before, but, you know, just looking it up and, um, and talking to a couple people who had run the race, um, it has a big gradual hill from miles 20 to 23, which is kind of intimidating. <laughs> um, but I actually think that helped me because in my mind, I was thinking, okay, I have to like be ready for this hill. And I'm just going to like try to stay as comfortable as I can through 20. And then like that's when, which is really what you should do anyway. <laughs> but having a big hill there like made it essential. Um, so I was trying to not really pay attention to splits. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't start out with like a pace goal. It was really just like a be comfortable and you know you the clocks are there like you're seeing the splits but um I was trying to like just kind of let them like pass through me um and I remember so like I remember my half marathon split was solid it was um maybe like 121 middle 122 and I like feeling pretty good so gave myself a little like all right good job good job but stay chill Um, and then I had written down what my split would need to be at the 20 mile mark, um, to OTQ just so that I would know, (laughs) cause I didn't want to like miss qualifying by like 15 seconds or something (laughs) like just to know where I was at. If it was within reach, like go for it then. Um, and by the time I got to 20, I was like two minutes or something under what I needed to be. So I was like, all right, this is good, but still have this hill. Um, and then as I was climbing the hill, I was not slowing down, which I had kind of assumed like, you're going to lose some time there. That's completely reasonable. Um, so when I'm like climbing this big hill at mile 21 and I'm two minutes under OTQ pace and not slowing down, I started to feel really good. (laughs) And from then it was just like a, a roll into the finish, um, physically and mentally just like the highest of runner's highs. <laughs> That's got to be such a big mental boost to feel strong at that point and such a good reason, I think, for runners to really check their effort in those first 20 miles because if you can get to 20 
And especially on a course like that, where you've got an uphill and feel good, that gives you that mental boost of like, yeah, I'm going to crush this. And that's what we all need in those last six miles, I think, is in addition to the physical ability is that mental boost. So that's, that's awesome. And so what was your finish time? Huge, yeah. So I finished in um, 241.33. So almost which, a 10-minute PR. Yeah, it, it was actually over a 10-minute PR. <laughs> wow. And how did you feel? What were the first thoughts going through your head? Was it kind of surreal? Oh, it was so surreal. Um, I, I think like that last like the last two to three miles, like I was almost just like having to lie to myself to just not get too excited and emotional. <laughs> um, like that last um, like point two to the finish was when I kind of like let it all hit me and um, like started to get a little choked up. And then as soon as I finished, I was just like ugly crying to the point where this medical volunteer came over and was worried about me. I was like, no, it's okay. I'm just really happy. <laughs> um, and he's like walking me back to like the athlete tent and like a couple other people like came up to like see if everything was like. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> so it was a good moment. Looking back at that race, let me preface this. We read something in Runner's World. The title of the article about you was how you run commute. Do you, I wasn't sure if that article was like an angle by the writer or is, is it true that you did more long, slow distance, easy running during this training cycle? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I definitely lean on the run commute when I'm in my highest training, just highest volume training, because there's, it's like really the only plausible way for me to run, you know, 80, 85, 90 miles a week, um, is to is to combine running and, and getting to work. Um, and I would say I also probably ran a lot of my easy miles slower that training cycle. Um, I think part of that was the humidity. <laughs> like you just have to. Um, but I think in general, I've been good at keeping my easy days easy um, they've gotten slower, I think just cause I'm getting older. Um, that first mile keeps getting slower and slower. <laughs> I hear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's, uh, it, yeah. When you're running 85, 90 miles a week, like you can't hammer all of them cause you will fall apart. Yeah. So then tell us about your training post, you know, qualifying leading up to, to Atlanta and the qualifying, how did you, did you do anything different? Did you make any of those micro changes? Did you get a coach? Like what, what, what did you do? How did you prepare for that? Yeah, I did not change a lot. I, I added a touch more volume again. Um, I would say in general, like I add like five miles um, per week to like each of these cycles. Um, so, you know, I peaked at, 90 miles instead of 85 um, from the Twin Cities cycle. Um, the trials training cycle, it felt a little different. Um, I think because it was such a singular event and there's so much excitement around it. And, you know, you had literally hundreds of the fastest marathoners in the country, like training for this one event at the same time. So it was really cool to like, I'm on Strava to so like track other people's training just out of interest. Um, 
I think I did more training by myself than I usually would um, between like travel for the holidays. And um, if you're not training for the Olympic trials, like there's no reason for you to be doing that sort of training um, at that time. So I was a little, a little more solo, um, but like workout wise, I think I did maybe like a little bit more um, marathon pace in my long runs and a little bit more of the like, like the medium hard long runs, like the steady state type stuff um, that I did in the past. But I'd say those were like the, the little tweaks that I made this cycle. And did you go down to Atlanta to um, practice on that course because it was unusually grueling? I did not um, make it out for a course run. Um, I, I knew that I wanted to take a week of vacation to focus on running and, and thought about going to Atlanta for that, um, but ended up going to Tallahassee, Florida. Um, which was an awesome place to train. Uh, if anyone's ever looking for a wintertime um, training escape, definitely. Why Tallahassee? Tallahassee. Um, why why Tallahassee? <laughs> yeah, um, I had, I was looking for somewhere that was going to be reasonably warm in the winter um, or, you know, just guaranteed to not be like covered in snow and ice. And so that I, I knew I'd be able to get my runs in. Um, I wanted somewhere that was hilly because of the course in Atlanta. And um, I didn't want to go to altitude because I just don't really have experience at altitude and um, didn't know how that would affect me. Um, and then um, being from Florida, like I was able to um, stop by uh, my parents' place for a couple of days before and then drive up to Tallahassee. It's, it was like a five or six hour drive. So not close, but, um, close-ish. Got it. So did you feel ready for the trials and, um, tell us what that was like? Yeah, I felt ready. I had, um, the best training cycle, marathon training cycle I've ever had. Um, I, I think like the first couple of weeks was kind of settling into rhythms, but um, the last eight weeks or so, I would say like things were really clicking. Um, all my workouts were going well, like my body felt good um, and was just like hitting those long run workouts faster than I ever had, um, was getting my daily uh, dose of hills, um, just like felt like I had done everything I needed to do. Um, so was really excited for Atlanta, um, both for the race and just like the whole experience. Um, you know, it, it, having the word Olympics in the, in the event just like really gets people excited and hooked in, even if they're from outside um, the running community. So like my friends who, um, you know, ask me about my training, like, like maybe they know the Boston Marathon is exciting and important, but it doesn't necessarily carry weight with them. But when you say Olympics, like everybody knows what the Olympics is. And um, so it was really exciting. And I had a good crew there um, of family, family friends. And then um, like eight of my high school friends came, which was really special. And then um, just so nice. Yeah. So I, I was excited. Um, it was really, really cool. 
did you feel pressure or was it more like a celebratory run for you? I know you train hard, but what, what was that like for you? Yeah. Um, a little bit of both. Um, you know, I was sort of framing it, trying to frame it for myself as a celebration because it should be, um, I mean, it's a big accomplishment. Um, and I think also like looking back on my running history, um, you know, for someone who thought they were done competitive running uh, in 2007 to 13 years later be participating in, um, you know, kind of like the pinnacle of marathoning in the United States, um, you know, that wasn't lost on me. So I, I felt very proud to be part of that and, and happy that um, my journey had, had led me there. Um, but I also knew I trained really hard and wanted to, (laughs) you know, show people that and, and put it to use. And, and the fact that like so many people are there watching, like for me specifically, like, even though, you know, I know that it doesn't matter to them if I run a 315 or a 240, like they're going to be happy and for me and proud of me no matter what. But like the fact that I knew there was going to be a lot of people watching, I was like, Oh, I just like, I want to put on a good show and, and do well. Um, and unfortunately, the, the race didn't um, fully go my way. But, you know, I, I still walk away from the experience, um, you know, happy to have had. So how, how was the race for you? I, we've heard from many people that it was like the, the toughest thing ever. So yeah. share with us yeah. if that was your thought. Yeah. So the, you know, we knew the course was going to be hilly. Um, one thing that, you know, no one could have predicted was it was incredibly windy. Um, and I think for me, I actually struggled more with the wind than the hills. Um, I like hills. So when it was a hilly course, I was, I was not upset about that. (laughs) I was like, I think this is going to work in my favor. Um, and so, you know, it was tough and it was very much like I knew, I felt like for me, the best strategy was going to be to run by feel just don't even worry about splits. Like splits aren't going to mean anything. Cause like there's going to be a 20, 30 second spread between miles, depending if you're going uphill or downhill. Um, but so I, you know, I tried really hard to, to stay comfortable, stay relaxed, but I think it, that was also hard to do with the excitement and the, the fans were insane and the just like having so many women around like I think um I think it can be hard to pace when you're and to just like solely listen to your body when there's just like this flow of people and you you know you might get just kind of caught up in it all and um you know I think a lot of people positive split that race (laughs) both because of the course and the excitement and the conditions um, so the, my race, um, you know, it, I, um, felt pretty good. I would say through about mm, 18 or so miles. And that's for me, I think always the hardest part of the race is like that 16 to 20 where you're, you're not feeling super fresh, but you still have a long way to go. And, um, so it was I was feeling all right and then hit 20 and, you know, gave myself a little pep talk. It's like, all right, you know, 
you're sur- you're surviving. I would say I was surviving. Like I was not, um, I was not feeling great, but I was still moving up in the field a little bit. And by that point, you know, you have six miles left. How many times have you run six miles over the last however many months? Like I kind of gave myself a little like, all right, we got this. Like, let's, <laughs> it's going to be tough, but like, let's, let's bring this in. Um, and then at mile 21, I just got a, like a pang of a side stitch that literally stopped me in my tracks, like within, like almost started walking immediately and tried to like work it out, like, you know, hands over head, massage it out. And which like tried to start jogging a couple times and it just like every time, like felt like someone was stabbing my abs. Um, so unfortunately, you know, just was like, there's no way, no way I can run into the finish. Um, so that was a, you know, it was a bit of a tough pill to swallow, but, um, you know, I was glad that I made it to the the start line, um, healthy, feeling good about my fitness, um, and had a a great, uh, 20.5 miles of the race. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, I, think there's anyone listening everyone's had that experience where you've had some type of dnf um, when something happens that's completely out of your control so you controlled the controllable was you made a decision to not finish the eight last what is it eight mile loop there were like uh and it's my understanding the last loop was different it was like a lollipop or something where you went through the finish yeah the last loop had a little extra like 2.2 i think extremely impressive and while certainly unfortunate that you weren't able to finish it really sounds like that would have been an impossible task where you would have just been walking just to say you finished yeah and it was cold enough that it was uh not fun after you know five to ten minutes of walking like I was starting to shiver and um, yeah since then life has completely changed so you've had time to absorb that and and now it's been four months, almost what, three and a half months since the trials. Um, how are you doing now? And, and what are, what are your thoughts moving forward um, during this time? Yeah, it, it, it's crazy to think that the trials were, you know, two weeks before everything shut down. Um, it feels like a completely different world. Um, so, you know, I, I took some downtime. Um, I actually got like pretty sick, like two days after the race. So my body forced me to take some downtime. Um, and then started doing a little bit of easy running again. And, um, you know, had over, I was sort of like looking forward to, you know, maybe I can get in shape for some late spring races <laughs> before that all right <laughs> went away. Um, yeah. So I, I would say my approach to this time has been to kind of listen to what just kind of do what I want to do. And if that means doing some workouts, um, I'll do workouts and I, I have been doing some, um, try not to go like too hard, just run like medium hard. <laughs> um, and just be able to get out there and, and keep moving and, um, hopefully, have some level of fitness whenever we get back to racing. Um, depending on how things go, like maybe try some time trials at shorter distances. Um, 
you know, I think I like doing shorter distance work in the summer anyway, since it's much more manageable with the conditions. Um, it's like maybe try to do some like 5k stuff um, just to mix it up and good to work those different types of muscles and systems. Um, so no, no like hard goals for, for our uh, coronavirus times so far at least. Well, we know that there's so much more in store for you and um, it just, your patience and the way that you've explained how you've learned to enjoy the process, your persistence and your willingness to put your goals out there and just own everything um, seems to have only benefited you. And you certainly are a role model to many runners because of how you've approached all of this and overcome um, what could have been career-ending setbacks, and instead you kept your eye on the ball and kept going, and this is why we wanted to have you on today. So, Carrie, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we would love to stay in touch and hear more about your story when you are able to continue it after this pandemic is over. And can you tell people where we can find you if people want to follow your journey? Sure, yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram at um, KLA2222, so it's four twos. <laughs> um, and I, I have tried to post a little bit more about running on there. Sometimes I'm a, a little bit reticent to share. Um, and I don't run with my phone, so I got to get better at like taking photos. Um, That's okay. We get it. <laughs> yeah. It's good to escape the phone sometimes. Um, I post the most on Strava. So if, if folks are on Strava, um, you know, I'm happy to share my training. I like looking at other people's training. So um, it's just under my name. Um, and thanks so much for having me on. I hope to see you both at uh, a race in real life sometime <laughs> in the future. We're eager to get back to you. So it would be great to see you. And thank you so much for giving us your time today and sharing your story. And, um, and we hope to see you around soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you both. Hi, thanks, Carrie. Thanks, Carrie. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.